since we are being beamed internationally all the way down to Hastings, so I kick off with a big shout out to the brothers and sisters, Hadataki and Shona. Hadataki, leave some fish out there for me before I get down there. We'll be seeing you soon. Now, I don't need a show of hands, um, but how many of you guys have recurring dreams? So dreams that you, you just, they, they keep coming up even to the point I have them where in my dream I'm saying to other people, you wouldn't believe this, but I've dreamt this happens before. It's just kind of a little bit crazy. I have a couple of dreams like this, and the first one is what I uh, call the Bunnings Kitset dream. And those of you who know me a little bit, who are possibly on the... There's a spectrum of how good you are with practical stuff. There's the engineers and the geniuses, and then there's the accountants and me slightly in from the lawyers, you know, practically handicapped, basically. And so when the guy in the store says, he gives me the, in my dream, he gives me the, the kit set and he says it's really easy to assemble. And then there's this, there's this recurring theme in this dream that, that objects get thrown with great force. And my language devolves into thoroughly pre-Christian sort of vocab. And the, the horrible thing is that in this dream, uh, my mum, who's not a Christian, is normally there, and I just completely blow it. I just lose my rag. It's either my mum or it's my work colleagues who I care about and I'm trying to witness to, and I just lose it. And to be honest, the, the Bunnings kit set dream is one I'm really happy to wake up from. I have another dream, though, which is kind of the opposite to that. And that's where I'm sitting with someone I really care about or a group of people. Um, and in, as dreams go, they just look at me with love in their eyes and they say, Steve, give us the evidence for God. And I just tell them with such clarity and conviction and, and, and they're just like, oh, that's amazing. Tell us more, Steve. And I just go on and, you know, and I share the gospel and they're about bending the knee and, you know, and I wake up from those and I think, man, wouldn't that be phenomenal? That's just, that is the dream, isn't it? And in life, I guess we have the odd situation that gets close to that second dream. And, and it's the dream, isn't it, to, to be able to share the most incredible good news that any human being could ever hear. And so my question is, what can I do to possibly bring about those situations in the real world more often? And this morning, I want to look at an activity that really helps us do that. For those of you who have been with us this year in our series and we're looking at this idea of loving right where we are, and the last few weeks we've been getting a bit practical. And the first couple of series, a few a couple of messages a few weeks back, we looked at the idea of, of open my eyes and open my heart. Lord, help me to see the needs and, and the real people around me and give me a heart for them like you have. And then last week, Brad uh, talked about opening our schedule. Are we just too busy even to be used by God, you know? And, a couple, and next week, we're going to be looking at opening our mouths, having the courage to stand up and speak, whether it's to sow seeds, whether it's to share our, our testimony, whatever. But we, at the end of the day, people need to hear. But before that, there's a really important one that we need to be aware of. And today, we're going to look at the idea of opening our ears. And this is just so important because... We need to remember when we share the gospel message, we, we call it the gospel, and it means good news. It's exciting and it's beautiful and we love it. But for someone who 
is, is skeptical and have perhaps never heard that, who perhaps don't even believe in God, it's tremendously scary. We, we could be changing their whole worldview of, of why they exist and what their eternal destiny is. And so if, if we need to, if we want them to listen to us, we're going to be much more effective if we can create a safe place for that to happen. If we want them to give us their ears, we need to give them our ears first to genuinely respect them by listening. And so the big idea, if I could boil all of this down today, is this, that when we open our ears to those around us, they feel safer to hear about the one who saves us. Now, a couple of things before we kick into this. I'm not going to expound from the book of listening this morning. There is no such book. There's no particular big passage that we can even go to. And uh, if, if you got all of this and, and understand it, that would be fantastic. I have to say I'm a student in this. I am by no means a professor. And, and even if I had it completely down pat, if you grabbed all of this, read five books, and just were the most brilliant listener in the world... I still don't think we're necessarily going to manufacture situations where people just desperately want to hear the gospel from us. And before you think to yourselves, well, that's more disclaimers than a Scottish tax opinion, there is a bi biblical basis for this because it comes from us being wise in the way we act towards outsiders. The, the Bible it, it considers this. If you think about some of the verses that the Bible talks about listening, so back in the wisdom literature in Proverbs, it says that to answer before listening, that is folly, that is foolishness and shame. James, the brother of Jesus, in his tremendously practical book, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Peter, when he's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout the world of his day, they're suffering persecution, but they want to be able to share the message with the people around them. He urges them, guys, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. And we don't respect people if we're not prepared to listen to them as well. Paul, when he writes to the church in Colossae, he says, guys, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, your dialogue, your interaction be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace means that we show the respect that Peter talks about, that we're prepared to listen and so there's a biblical basis for this. There's also a tremendously practical basis as well. Evangelists who, who know a lot about this talk about the importance of listening to create a safe place where people are happy to share what can be a really scary message. I love the way Doug Pollock. Doug Pollock is a, uh, an evangelist with Athletes in Action. He does this for a full-time job. And he says, when we demonstrate that we are truly seeking to understand people, not simply change their point of view, we create a safe environment that allows them to open up at a deeper level. Perhaps the greatest value of spirit-led listening is that it communicates true humility and sends this powerful message, I accept and respect you. You remember what Peter said in terms of giving answers? Do it with gentleness and respect. And Doug Pollock says that's what listening does. It shows respect. 
Todd Hunter, former CEO of Alpha in the States, a huge evangelistic organization. He goes even further. He says, I'm willing to bet the farm that in our postmodern Christian society, the most important evangelistic skill is listening. That's a huge claim to make. And so this morning, what I'd love us to do is we think about how can we be more effective at listening so that we can create a safe environment to share the most awesome and beautiful message anyone could ever hear. I want to give a, a, have just give a crash course in listening, some, some don'ts and some do's that I think are helpful for us to become better listeners with a view to be able to be more effective in sharing our faith. So first of all, some listening don'ts. The first one is don't hijack the conversation. And this is just such a genuine temptation for us because we're sitting here and we have this amazing message and we look at the world around us and the reality is, the truth is, they are lost and we are found. So surely we should let them know. I mean, we, we have the message. The danger, though, is that we hijack the conversation and we ram it into a spot where someone's not ready. To illustrate this, I'll do this a couple of times this morning, I want to introduce you to a couple of people. Chris the Christian. C for Christian. Chris the Christian works with Sam the skeptic. Okay. Monday morning, water cooler discussion. Hey Sam, how's your weekend, buddy? Not good. My budgie died. How was yours? Mate, we just had the most incredible time of worship at our church, and I've been praying about this, Sam, and I reckon you should come to our church. His name was Smudgy. <laughs> Man, it was just yesterday was just so powerful. I have to say, I, I know you're a musical guy, Sam, and w- you would just resonate with this. It would speak to your soul. We were just basically plugged into the throne room of God. Oh, yeah, um, and if, it, if you came to church, it would probably help you get over the grief about your, your cat. <laughs> it's an extreme example. It's, it's, I'm being silly, but you understand what I mean. You know, if, if we're not listening and we're just hijacking the conversation and with good motive, we're trying to tell people about the Lord, if we're not listening, we're going to be taking them further away from the Lord, possibly, rather than leading them towards him. If you think about the Lord's excellent picture about evangelism being like a farmer sowing seed onto what he hopes is fertile soil. If we're not listening and we misread conversations, we're like sowing coconuts onto a cricket pitch. And it doesn't matter how hard we try and jam that into the ground, the ground is going to get harder. We need to show people respect and we shouldn't be hijacking the conversation. The second don't is similar. This is when someone actually does have a question or they do show some interest, but we just get all excited and we just basically give them a waterfall of information when they're just holding out a little thimble. Um, I am really good at this. I have so many examples. The first major one I can remember is not long after I'd become a Christian. Uh, I was about 20. 
my, uh, I discovered this swathe of evidence that I'd never heard of, evidence from science and history and stuff. There's so much good evidence for, for Christianity. Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting down with my dad, and he makes the foolish mistake of asking me to tell him about it. Wow, I pontificated, and I expounded, and I went for seamlessly from the scientific evidence over to the reliability of the New Testament and the certainty of the resurrection. And then I looked at my dad, and his eyes were closed, and I I don't actually know how long he'd actually been asleep for and I was hurtling down the motorway I had exceeded the speed limit and I don't know how many kilometers behind me he was and he is obviously my dad and he's gracious and he forgives me but I have had other situations where I have pushed too far and exceeded the speed limit and I've become argumentative or I've given people too much information and I've just lost them and I've basically blown it we need to be careful, even coming from good hearts, of exceeding the speed limit. It's a, it's a don't. Something that I think helps me uh, recognize, help, helps me not hijack the conversation or, or exceed the speed limit, is just recognizing that we don't have to close the deal every time. And what I mean by that is that it's not necessarily our job to have to give a full presentation of the gospel message of salvation and then to lead the person to the Lord and see them baptized at the same time. It's just we don't have that responsibility. Paul talks about how he would sow the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's the one who makes it grow. And the beautiful thing about this is that when we recognize it's not our job to, to have to close the deal, it, it lets us slow down and it gives us the freedom to treat people as people, to, to listen to them, to love them. I love the way Greg Kokel, who is a, an, a, an evangelist, a defender of the faith with Stand to Reason, and he does this for a living, and he is so good at it, and he's sharing his faith every opportunity he can. But he says what surprises people is that his goal is not actually to share the gospel every time he gets into a spiritual conversation. What he says is, all I want to do is put a stone in their shoe. And what he means by that, he says, I want to give him something worth thinking about, something he can't ignore because it pokes him in a good way. If all he can do is just drop in a really good question that the person has to, just nags at them when they walk away, just sows a seed, just something, of, just something to make them think. He just, at a minimum, he wants to put a stone in their shoe. I think that's just such a great picture. And recognizing we don't have to close the deal every time gives us that freedom to listen, to respect, to perhaps put a stone in someone's shoe. If we get really good at this as well, and someone like Greg Kokel is really good at it, you run the risk of thinking that you have a sort of a repertoire of kind of Jedi mind tricks that you could have such good questions that you could just kind of, you know, corral them into a corner until they get to the point that they just feel stupid and they recognize that everything they believe is dumb and they just have to ask you for the answers. And sometimes I think that would be awesome to have that sort of ability. But can you imagine the risk that we run there if we had that sort of ability of bullying people? that our goal could so easily, we would just love the thought of making the, the work atheist look stupid. And that is just not our goal. And so one of the things we have to be really mindful of, if we, if we practice this and we get good at it as we work at it, is not to misuse clever listening skills. 
It's not something that we're, we're to use to bully people or to make them look silly. It is there to step them towards the Lord Jesus. So those are some don'ts. Positively, there are a few do's that I'd love us to go through as well. The first one pretty much goes without saying. It's not just a do, it is the must do. We looked at this a lot last year. It's a theme of, of who we are as a church. We have to pray about this. Pray that, that God would help us hear and see where he's already been at work. But then as we sow seeds, as we put stones in people's shoes, as we, as we get to share perhaps our testimony, that he would use that. Prayer is just imperative. The second one is, is go. And this is pretty basic as well. The first word of the Great Commission is not invite. It is not welcome and it is not host. All of those things are good, but they are not the first word in the Great Commission. The first word is go. If you think about the, the way the Lord talks about us being salt in, in uh, in our potency and our ability to influence because salt was used as a preservative. Salt is used as a flavorative. But I love the way Bill Hybels talks about salt and that picture that, that God uses, that the Lord uses with it. He says in his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, he says, highly flavored, industrial strength salt has great potency, but it can't produce any results unless it touches something. As Betty Pippet wrote many years ago, unless salt gets poured out of the shaker, it remains a mere table ornament. Love the way that he, he talks about that. If you think about the world around us, your work colleagues, the people in the clubs, your neighbours are not planning a full frontal attendance of church next Sunday. If we don't go to them, they're probably not coming to us. And we are the ones that God wants to be building that relationship. We need to go. It's imperative. Secondly, uh, thirdly, I think we need to be looking for common ground. When we're listening and we're wanting to create that safe place to get a message across, which can in fact be really scary, common ground is a really good way of doing that. So if we revisit our mates Chris and Sam, it may look something like this. Monday morning, back at the water cooler. Hey Sam, how was your weekend? Not good, actually. My, my budgie died. Mate, that's, that's just awful. You must be gutted. Yeah, I am, actually. It just, um, I mean, I know it sounds stupid. It's a flipping budgie, for goodness sake. But no offence. It just, sorry, I'm at, I'm at it. No offence to anyone who has a budgie. So. <clears throat> it's, just, it's, just, it's just a budgie, but oh, I, just, I can't stop thinking about it. It's, just, it's actually really rocked me. I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. I totally hear where you're coming from. My, my dog Sheba died, and I've never cried so much in my life. It's just, death is, is a biggie. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just, it's, it's like death. It's just, my, I'm never going to hear my budgie sing again. It's just, it's, it's, I just can't stop thinking about it. Death sucks. Yeah, mate, I totally hear you. I just, I mean, for me... Um, Death, funerals, just really makes me think about the bigger questions of life. And, and I hear you, it's, it's really scary. And you don't know where that conversation's going to go, but you're hoping that Sam walks away with a stone in his shoe, you know. Just resonating, just looking for common ground helps create a safe place for such a huge message for us to share. 
Next one sounds a bit military, but it's, it's, it's more about understanding, and that's the idea of identifying your target. How frustrating is it for us when, when people, perhaps in the media, put up a completely wacky or extremist view of Christianity, and then they take great pride in shooting it down, and, and they feel really good about themselves, and we're like, that's just such a straw man, that is so dumb, and it's frustrating. It's exactly the same. If we don't understand where someone's coming from, and, and we don't sort of respond to them accordingly. So if, for example, you have someone at your work who just thinks that the Bible is an absolute fairy tale, just made up myths, there's not a lot of point in you sharing with them verses on the end times and telling them to gird their loins for the great and glorious day of the Lord. They are just, they're not with you, you know. But if someone at your workplace starts talking to you about the, the incredible change they've seen in their sister, and she's just started going to church, and she's just a new woman. And man, what have I got to do to get some of that? You have a huge opening in that case. To, and to understand where someone's coming from, to correctly sort of diagnose, if you like, to, to, to identify who we're, what, what's the issues we're dealing with. great way to do this is just to reflect back to them what the snippets that they're giving us. So when they talk about what they believe, just to make sure we really get it, just reflect back to them. It's a really simple but such a powerful technique. And without being patronising, it's just simple things. You know, so, so if I'm, I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is, or, you know, so, yeah, what you're saying, the problem that you see with such and such and such is such and such, you know. And it's not, it's not being patronising, but you're just checking. You're showing them the respect of listening but you're also making sure that you can clear up any misunderstanding and where they're coming from. And sometimes you're going to come across a, a belief that's just so wacky and you're thinking, how do I respond to this showing respect? You know, Sam, the, your workmate, comes to you, says his pet rock has died, but he's okay because he knows pet rocks go to heaven. And you're wanting to, say, you're wanting to acknowledge that, but you don't really want to agree because it's... I don't know what verse of the Bible is in there. A trick I've found really helpful is, is just a couple of words, and it's, it's as simple as this. When you really don't agree, but you want to show them that respect and listen, two words. That's interesting. <laughs> it sounds funny, but it is just so powerful. You know, so Sam's in tears as pet rocks died, and you just... Sorry, I don't know if I'm shaking or nodding at that stage. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting, Sam. And honestly, you haven't downed him. You've shown him the respect of listening, but you definitely haven't agreed. And, and so I'd encourage you. Just It sounds funny, but that's interesting. That's really interesting. You acknowledge them, you show them respect, but you haven't agreed, which you obviously don't want to do. So important. Part of identifying the target, understanding where people are coming from. What it's part of is, is a bigger picture, is just listening responsively. What I love about this is, and what I'm saying here is that is when we talk about listening, I'm not expecting you to be people who just sit there like a stuck record, just nodding, just uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I'm talking about responsive listening, so probing, asking good questions, sincere, thought-out questions, taking an actual interest in what the person's saying, not just planning what your answer's going to be as soon as they close their mouths, but actually listening. And the more I look at the Lord Jesus and the way that he responded and the way that so often he would answer a question with a question, the more I look at him, the most brilliant communicator who has ever and will ever exist on planet Earth, the more I'm convinced that we are much better to have a repertoire of great questions 
then we are to have a repertoire of great answers. I think we need both, but you know what? I think great questions are just so powerful. And especially in a country like New Zealand, I think that's the case. Because the average Kiwi, and I was quite an average Kiwi before I came to faith, the average Kiwi has not thought through his or her worldview to a large degree. They go off the media, they go off Women's Day, they go off what their friends have told them. They haven't really thought about it a lot. And I think good questions, just genuinely helping them flesh out, can be hugely beneficial in that. So I'll just give you another example. So we're back at the water cooler. Oh, sorry, we're back at the water cooler. Chris is just having a, a nice drink. He's just, having, he's just having his morning. Sam walks in, and he has just had a flaming guts full. Willow's Christians on the TV. Never that guy, Brian Tamaki. I mean, seriously, I'm a man who wants evidence. There is no evidence for God. Flaming. It's a fairy tale. I mean, Seriously? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, Sam. <laughs> and I, I actually, I agree with you. I think our, what we believe, especially on that big stuff, I, I think we should have evidence for that. You're darn right we should. I mean, seriously, is there any evidence for God, you know? Yeah, I hear you. That's a really good question. I, I mean, out of interest, what, what evidence would, would convince you that there was a God? Well, I mean, I'm a man of, I'd need to see it. How can you have a God you can't even see? It's like an imaginary friend, isn't it? You'd need some proof. You'd have to turn up, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good thought. But the issue I have, I suppose, is if he turned up, I mean, down through the centuries, there's been heaps of people who have claimed to be God, but they're just loopy or imposters, you know? How would you know that he was actually God? Yeah, good point. Well, I mean, for me, you'd have to do stuff that no one else can do. Um, prove it. He'd have to prove it. You know, miracles, something like that. Yeah, so when you're talking, yeah, I, I hear you, you're talking miracles like crazy stuff, power over nature, calming storms, um, I know, healing people, raising the dead, just stuff that clearly no imposter could do. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. A little bit like Jesus, I'm thinking. I mean, you don't know, you don't know where Sam's going to go with that, do you? And it's easy to stage a conversation, but, but at a minimum, what does Sam do? Walks away, what's he got? He's got a stone in his shoe, hasn't he? I'm thinking, if you are like me, if you're like the average Kiwi Christian... Some of those conversations are pretty scary, and your heart, my heart beats in those conversations. You know, if that just scares the pants off you, and and you're happy to sort of go in at a low level, but to have a, a conversation where you sort of really start, put, if that just scares the pants off you, can I just remind you? One option is just invite the person, your work colleague, your family member, your your friend, invite them along to explore. And we will do our utmost to create a safe place. We, we will have those conversations. We will share some evidence. We will listen to them. And, and they are welcome to ask any questions they like. So it's a, it's a course that we run. lasts about six weeks. The idea is it's a safe place. You can ask anything you like. But we're going to give them evidence for God, for Christianity, kicking off 10th of June, I think. 
The next one, it's in the notices anyway. I would just, would you please pray about that? That is an option for you if those conversations scare the pants off you. So those are some do's and, and I think can be really powerful. What I want to do, I just want to finish with a story from a book called God Space by Doug Pollock, the Athletes in Action guy. God Space, the idea of creating a safe space for the message. And this story he talks about just illustrates what we've been talking about listening so well. So I'd just like to read it to you and see as we're doing this if you can just hear some of the don'ts and the do's that we've been talking about. He says, I was invited to a medium-sized Midwestern town. Anthony, one of our staff members, went with me. We arrived a day early to speak with the leadership of the church and ensure everything was set up for the next day. Over dinner that night, the church's outreach director expressed a desire to experience some of what I was going to be talking about the next day, so I suggested we drop into one of the local bars. Remember the, the do? Go. Okay, the bar's not planning a full frontal attendance at church. These guys go to them. He goes on, none of us knew what we were in for that night. A second after I stepped in, I was ready to step out. I was old enough to be the father of most of the clientele. The outreach pastor could have been their granddad. And Anthony was probably the first and the last African-American to set foot in this bar. You cannot imagine three guys more out of their element. Everything in me was screaming to turn around and call it a night so I could be fresh for the next day. After ordering drinks, we were approached by a couple of pool players who asked us if we wanted to play. Anthony and I said, sure. Being athletes and action staff, we quickly managed to gain some credibility on the pool table with a few wins. Common ground, heading for a safe place. It didn't take long before they stated the obvious. Hey, we've never seen you guys before. Are you from around here? I told them it was our first time in town, and they asked me what we were doing. I laughed. And I said, I don't think you'd believe me if I told you. Intrigued, salt in the conversation, they told me, yeah, give it a shot. I told them one of the bigger churches had invited me to speak the next day. Then I asked them if they would be willing to help me out. Several others in the bar overheard our conversation and gathered around. I mentioned that sometimes churches are pretty clueless in how they come across in a community because they talk more than they listen. I said, you could help me and them by telling us about your experiences with the church. The bartender caught wind of our conversation and turned the music down. Pretty soon everyone had pulled up a chair around the pool table and one by one these people began to share their stories about how they'd been wounded by the church in one way or another. For 30 minutes we listened reflectively to these people who had been strangers an hour before as they shared their true hearts with us. Can you, can you hear the safe place that's being created here? The youngest person in the bar saved the best for last. First she made everyone promise not to tell anyone what she was about to divulge. Then she said that her dad, who was the owner of the bar, used to be a pastor. He'd left the ministry when the church he had been pastoring had split. No one at the bar had been aware that their drinking buddy, the bar owner, was at one time a man of the cloth. After everyone picked up their jaws off the floor, this young lady proceeded to shock Anthony and me by saying, you know, I've asked a lot of people this question, but no one has ever been able to answer it. Could you guys tell me 
if it's possible to know for sure if you died, you would go to heaven. That is the dream, isn't it? Seriously, to be sitting down, whether it's one person you care about or a group of people like that, that they feel safe enough to ask the biggest, scariest question they could ask so that we might have the privilege of telling them the most awesome, powerful, life-changing message that they could ever hear. If we are going to want them to give us their ears, we need to give them our ears first. Because when we open our ears to those around us, they feel safer to hear about the one who saves us. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we are just we look at you and you are just so brilliant. We look at the way you interacted with love and with gentleness and respect, but with such powerful clarity and truth. The way you question people, the way you love them with your words. And we would just so desperately love to be able to share you with the people around us. Would you please help us to grow in wisdom in the way that we act towards outsiders, people who don't yet know you? Would you help us to be people with open ears as well as open eyes and hearts and schedules so that we might be able to open our mouths and introduce them to you, the most beautiful person they could ever know, the God who made them, the Saviour who died for them? Lord Jesus, help us please to be better listeners that we might create safer places to share you with the people around us. Amen. Fantastic. Thanks, Steve. Can we stand together? We're going to sing to a God that is uh, incredibly able to do amazing work in the hearts and minds of our friends around us.